have to be very clear about what you want and then you need to be able to articulate that value. If you don't know what you want and you can't articulate your value, none of the other shit that I say is going to matter. Nothing. And if you don't believe in yourself, anything I'm going to say doesn't matter. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshavsky, and welcome to episode 137 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to be joined by Jordan Carroll, one of the premier remote job coaches who has also worked remotely since 2013 and has done so for both Fortune 50 companies and startups alike. Jordan is also the founder of The Remote Job Club, a course and training that helps show people how to land their dream remote jobs. He is also currently working on his new book, Remote for Life, and as mentioned earlier, he is a sought-after coach helping people find and land their dream remote jobs. You guys, you will learn three really important things from this episode. Number one, what most people get wrong when applying for remote jobs. Number two, how to land a remote job even if you're fresh out of college and have no prior experience remote or on-site. And finally, Jordan explains why the job market is due for a drastic shift in the next 10 to 20 years and what you need to do today to be ready. But before we jump into the interview, make sure that you subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Nomad Insider. Every Monday morning, I send out a brief but informative email with all the top news from the digital nomad world so you never get left out. From upcoming conferences and new digital nomad visas to technology breakthroughs and the newest developments in remote work, this is the easiest way to become a digital nomad insider. It's completely free and you can sign up at thatremotelife.com forward slash nomad insider. Finally, I would love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support us. Reviews are a key statistic that podcasting apps look at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So thank you in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this exciting conversation with Jordan Carroll. All right, Jordan, welcome to the show, man. I am so excited to have you on here. Uh, where are you joining us from? You said that you're coming in from California before we hit record. What part of California are you at? Yeah, man. Oh, I'm excited to get into it. This is going to be fun. I'm in Northern California, so um, forget all the SoCal folks. We're up in NorCal right now. I, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting how things have like really kind of changed in the u.s in terms of like where the hot spots have been you know you've seen Mm. so many people moving out of california and moving to other parts of um of the u.s and i think with your experience obviously we're going to talk a lot about remote work and how to get jobs in the the remote field because uh like we 
before we hit record, we talked about the fact that I cover a lot about entrepreneurship and I'm excited to have mm -hmm. you on as an expert talk about employment and getting jobs with these new opportunities uh, in remote work. Just out of curiosity, you know, speaking about the US, are you seeing from your point of view, are you seeing a lot more like people tuning? Like, like what does it look like in terms of where are people kind of trying to get jobs from? Uh, what are the companies that are using you? Where are they look like kind of like what has been your experience seeing this whole shift inside of the US, like from your point of view? Yeah, well, first and foremost, uh, again, thanks for having me on. And I appreciate the, the opportunity to talk about this stuff because I am super passionate about it. And uh, I'm not necessarily super passionate about living in the US. I've actually did not uh, for, for the most of the past four or five years, I've not lived in the United States. I'm from California and I'm, I'm here not necessarily by choice. So I had an injury as we spoke about and my support system is here. So they're the ones who were able to help me when I was out of the surgery operation room and couldn't move. So <laughs> that's kind of extended my stay as I've you know gone through recovery. So I generally wouldn't choose the U.S. to to, to be. If I could, I'd choose Mexico. I, I have residency in Mexico and I've lived there most of the past number of years. But in the U.S., what we're seeing is, and I posted a video on this today, Miko. You are crazy with your timing, my man. <laughs> I posted a video on this today about all of the different places that will pay you to move. There are a bunch mm. of different uh, cities, states, countries around the world that are looking to uh, have remote workers come and live there. People that are fully employed, people that can show these W-2s, show these contracts and say, hey, this is how much I'm making per month. Awesome. Come in. We welcome you with open arms. Here's you know, a visa for extended stay or you know, here's a program that we offer to pay you $10,000 to move here. There's some crazy things going on like that to revive mostly rural places. And I don't know if you've talked to Gonzalo Hall before yeah but um, of course yeah yeah so I, I mentioned him in that video as well with what he's done with the nomad village and i think we're seeing the same thing in the u.s where at places like nebraska and kansas and uh, these kind of middle central forgotten flyover states is what they call them are finding ways to be competitive in in getting people to move there because of course if you don't need to live near your job you know potentially you can live not necessarily anywhere but maybe you can live anywhere in the u.s and, and um, it's, it's worth noting that with, with a lot of remote jobs, there is a geographical restriction. Actually, 95% of remote jobs uh, with companies have some sort of geographical restriction. So what I see is that there's a lot of companies that are located in the U.S. and they're kind of divided in between companies that are remote on accident versus remote uh, first, right? And remote on accident, likely because of the pandemic. So they're generally going to have a lot more restrictions and people are maybe going to be able to move within the state or be able to move within the U.S. And then there's a lot of these, you know, remote first companies that are popping up and some of them who have been around where, hey, maybe you want to go to Mexico and, and live there, which which is all good. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, just out of curiosity, since I am based out of Mexico a lot these days, I'm curious, what mm -hmm. part of Mexico uh, do you decide to kind of hang out in? Uh, Playa del Carmen. Me okay, gusta playa, nice. la playa. <laughs> Hablas español también. Uh, no, my my Spanish okay, so is. Okay, we're not going to do it in Spanish. It, no, no, I I call it cerveza Spanish. I know just about like how to order a beer and like you can order, order a beer. Meal, and unfortunately, that is the extent of my Spanish. But okay. Jordan, I'm curious. Uh, where did all of this start, man? Like, how did you get started with remote work? What brought you yeah. to the line of work that you're in right now? 
Yeah, I mean, I follow everybody's, uh, you know, what society told me, and I got a nice corporate job out of college, um, and that's that came with a, an hour and a half commute attached to it. <laughs> so I think you could, like anybody who's had to do an hour and a half commute, let alone in the snow, because I was on the East Coast at that time, uh, it gets old. I ended up negotiating my work to be remote with that company uh, for one day a week. That was kind of the starting point. Is so I was like, <laughs> all right, every Friday I can work remote. And then once the, um, you know, the snow season hit, we were working from home more often. So I got a kind of a taste of it then in my, in my first year. And that was at a company called IBM. Uh, you may have heard of it. And uh, mm-hmm. from there, I ended up working fully remote for IBM for about three years. And I decided oh, I got to get out of this corporate rat race because the when you're one of 400,000, it's very, uh, very difficult to find meaning in life. I don't know if you've, you've had that, <laughs> had that experience before. Weirdly, I'm not so I'm not a good person to talk about like jobs, which is why I'm so excited to yeah, have yeah. you on here. Because yeah. like I've never had <laughs> yeah. a job. I've actually that's, never that's awesome. The, man. the only like quote unquote real job that I had, and the only reason why I'm putting even that in quotations is because I was a lifeguard. So it uh, was okay. like yeah, it, I, I yeah, yeah, but like I kind of struggled to call it a you know a, a corporate experience. So well, did anybody die? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is why I got paid the quote unquote big bucks as a lifeguard is because nobody died on my watch. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. So you did a good job. Uh, so I'll, I'll give that one to you. So the thing, the thing is, man, I have, I have a unique experience. I worked for a fortune 50 company that had 400,000 people remotely. I, then I, when I left that, I worked at a PR firm that had like three people working there. And then I worked at a range of other jobs as both freelance and then a W2 at remote year, which is a company you might know of which is fully mm-hmm. remote and distributed. So I've worked with companies from two to three employees to uh, 250 employees to 400,000 employees. I've worked all those jobs remote. I've done freelance work. I have my own businesses as well. So throughout the past, uh, I mean, that's the, been the past almost decade of working in various different uh, capacities remotely in all different industries in majority different roles, you know, flexing the same types of skill sets, but majority of different roles. That was what gave me a really interesting perspective so that when people asked me, they saw, hey, dude, you're moving from Boston to Portland to overseas to this to that. Like, how are you doing that? Like, how do I get a job where I can do that, too? And so I started getting the same questions. And I don't know if, you know, you probably have run into validating business ideas. But when you get a lot of the same questions from people, you might consider uh, forming a business around it. Right. So that's what I did. Yeah. For sure. Uh, And I definitely want to talk to you more about, you know, for the people listening, I I think it'd be really interesting for them and beneficial for them to hear more about what they can do to get those jobs. Like how can they look more Mm -hmm. attractive to companies to get those jobs? But before we talk about that, I'm kind of curious with with your wide experience working with all these different companies, some that are fully remote, meaning like the entire staff is remote, some that are not where it's partially Mm -hmm. remote. What do you feel like companies are doing wrong at the moment in terms of remote work? Uh, yeah, not not being clear and transparent in their policies. I had a, I, and this is just a, an example. I had a client recently who was in the third interview with a company for a position that was quote unquote remote US based. And they decided in the third interview to ask if she'd be willing to relocate because their plan was to go back to the office. It's like, what? <laughs> so, so how are you going to tell that, that to somebody, you know, three interviews in the reality is there's a lot of companies out there that have, like I said, gone remote by accident because of this pandemic. 
And what that's caused is really a friction in the policymaking. Because if you weren't remote first and you didn't create policies intentionally around remote work, then it's become an afterthought and it's become a necessity out of this pandemic. And then there's these companies that just continue to say, okay, we're going to go back to the office. When? Well, we can't now because the Omicron variant. It's like, okay, well, here, push out another five months, push out another. Just realize that, you know, this is probably going to go on forever at this point. So take a stance with your policy and be clear and be transparent. And I think that there's a lot of companies that are not doing that very well. And job seekers are having a hard time with that because if I'm a job seeker, I need to go into the conversation really knowing where a company stands on remote work and they should know where they stand on remote work. So there's not any miscommunication and wasted time. I totally, totally agree with that. It's been very interesting to see how people are like just kind of punting, trying to decide whether they're going to do it or not. And on the employee side, they're like, hey, this is working. It's fine. We're already doing it. Why do we need to come back into the office? And Mm -hmm. in my opinion, there's like a lot of this. And I'd be curious to hear kind of like your experience, you know, working with the companies themselves. In my experience, it's this almost like, they don't want to change or there's a lot of senior management that is kind of like used to doing things one way and they don't necessarily want to like learn to do it a new way. Is that where you feel like that hesitation is coming from, from the the point of view of the companies? Or do you think it's something else that's kind of making them not want to just make the change official? Yeah, uh, dude, it's a lot of work. (laughs) I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. It's a lot of work. And then I don't think these companies are tooled with the right uh, people, with the right mindset. You look at a company like like GitLab with Darren Murph and, and the remote first philosophy that they have. I mean, they built their company intentionally to use remote work as a, as a competitive advantage. So when that is flipped on its head and a company had used their offices as the main draw, their culture just completely evaporates and erodes. It's like, well, what are we? And they try to... And a lot of, you know, a lot of remote work experts talk about this and, and I'm not necessarily from the company side and building a structure in a company. I'm not necessarily an expert in that, but from what I see, it's the case of trying to copy the office, right? It's like, mm. let's try to copy the office atmosphere. And then it's just like meeting after meeting after meeting. No one's getting any deep work done. Whereas you look right. at, uh, you know, Chase Warrington from, from, from Duist, everything's async there. So asynchronous communication, we're going to, we're going to really live by this fact that we have people globally we have people all over the world who are going to be up at different times let's move the projects forward uh one piece at a time and send it off to the person and let them continue and give them everything that they need so if you haven't focused on that then you're just not really from so there's a cultural aspect to it and there's the tooling aspect to it so and then there's you know the money and just the the amount of lift that's required for a company to do something like that you know yeah, I, I completely agree. Even like from my, you know, it's it's great to hear you say that because from my point of view and my experience and speaking with a lot of people, it's been very much the same. It's where, you know, a lot of companies are trying to do this thing where they're like, let's just take the cubicle and move it to your house. And that just does mm-hmm. not work. Like you almost need to like, not necessarily rebuild from the ground up, but maybe from like the third floor up. You know what I mean? Like you kind of like need to yeah. like rethink the way the way you do things because the way your employees are working is is just different. Um, what sort of people are coming to you? Like what sort of, uh, what are your clients in terms of like backgrounds and skill sets and what sort of jobs are they looking for? Yeah, dude, you'd be amazed. Everybody. It's, <laughs> it's crazy, man. Uh, I have people who have never worked a, a day of remote 
in their life have been driving Ubers around. Uh, I have people who have been remote since the pandemic and their company's going back to the office and they're desperate. I have people who've been working remotely for three, five, 10 years, but are not challenged or don't feel like their company is, is really where they want to be anymore. I've had senior executive leadership come to me, uh, although quite a bit fewer of those uh, circumstances. Um, the people that I like to work with the most are the ones that are, are what I would consider high performers in their roles. They've, they've done things before that are transferable to being remote, even better if they've done it remotely before, right? And, and, and that's going to put me in a position where I'm going to more, more easily be able to help them stand out and be unique. But I've still worked with people all over the spectrum. And wherever someone is in the process, I've never felt like someone who can tell someone that something's not possible for them. So mm -hmm. I'm very careful with saying, oh, well, that person that does this, so that's not going to work. I may not be able to necessarily help them, but I'll point them towards a resource or I'll point them towards you know, what I think is the right steps for them to get to a place where I can help them. Um, and that also includes you know, country countries, right? There are some, uh, some places where you know, maybe in India and Africa, for instance, I'm, I'm going to have a lot harder time with folks in those areas. So I typically uh, point them towards resources where they may have a better chance at help. But I, I, I a lot of times can't help someone in those regions just because the development of those those um, regions with remote work is, is not as advanced with the as the U.S. is. And then any company in the U.S. is usually going to require a visa. Uh, you know, they're going to require visas, which get very complicated and difficult. So um, it's not to say that someone can't do it again. And that's where I come from is I'm always encouraging to say, hey, like you can do it. But depending on where you're at in this process, there's a different hill to climb. So just out of curiosity, because I think um, your answer, even though it's, you know, based on your experience and, and your viewpoint, I still think it gives us a nice kind of understanding of, of, of what this current um state is of of work what would you say is the percentage of people who are coming to you that are u.s citizens living in the u.s versus people who are out of the u.s and trying to get work for u.s companies is that the trend or are you working with companies that are kind of like global and and, and from a lot of different places in the world i'm just kind of curious about if you can kind of give us some sort of trends that you're experiencing in terms of who your clients are uh, from both sides, companies and the workers themselves. Yeah. And I'm glad you made that distinction because I think from what you're saying, I am starting to split my, my time between B2B and B2C. I've traditionally mm -hmm. spent a lot more time B2C with the, the end job seeker, training them on how to become a better, more unique candidate in the job marketplace. That has been my main focus for the past number of years. What I've found recently is that where I can provide even more value is I've got a ton of different candidates. I've got a ton of people following me that are job seekers. I'm getting a lot more interest from companies who are like, hey, I know this guy has people and it's a candidate's market right now. So how do we get our jobs in front of your people? So I've been building out uh, my own job board and been building out my own collective of job seekers so that I can kind of serve both sides of the aisle and do so in a way where I'm kind of connecting both sides. Now, trend-wise... Dude, it, it is so, it's very hard and difficult to, to say because I, I, I'm talking like dozens of LinkedIn messages a week, you know, do, you know sometimes hundreds. And, and if I were to try to, you know, do the, the napkin math in my head, it seems like it's probably 
60 40 people from the u.s coming to me more so um, but then 40 percent are from all over the world elsewhere mm. and again it is a much more difficult thing for me to help someone who is in a different country it's not impossible i've worked with people from honduras i've worked with people from indonesia i've worked with people from europe i've worked with people all over so it's not impossible but my my realm of expertise and my connections with more companies is definitely in the u.s gotcha this is more a question for the younger people in the audience, because one of the things that, you know, people just coming out of college or school tend to kind of complain mm -hmm. about is like a lot of jobs, even ones that you'd say are entry level, still kind of ask for prior experience, right? This is like, we all, yeah, we've yeah. all seen the memes on Facebook about that. And I feel like that problem is even more heightened when the jobs are remote, right? Because a lot of companies are like, well, we want people who have remote experience, at, you know, or at least yeah. they prefer that. What would be your advice for those people, the people that are coming out of college right now during a pandemic, when a lot of work is remote, a lot of companies are, you know, perhaps hiring completely remote. What are your tips for those people in terms of like, what is the best way for them to get their foot in the door with some of these companies? Yeah. There's no one size fits all for anything and everyone's going to have a different situation, different skill set, different experience and maybe their schooling and education, right? So it's hard to give too blanket uh, advice there, but I would say a couple things. One would be, you know, consider your audience and consider the fact that every company is taking a risk with every hire. So how do you de-risk that? One of the best ways, especially as someone who's young, is to volunteer work. I know people don't like to do that. But I've had, I had one client who is in her 60s and was, was facing the exact opposite issue, which ageism, right? Overqualification, mm -hmm. people thinking that she can't do it. She actually started working for this company on a volunteer basis for like three to, three to five months, 10 hours a week, something like that, because she wanted to get her foot in the door. Close to the middle of that contract that she signed, she got a referral to another job because of that and what i'm saying is is that she did a really good job de-risking that situation for that employer and we have to deal with the perception of employers it's it's inevitable so i know people don't like the fact that here, here's the thing i volunteered i interned and i i did free work as well it's people a lot of people are poo-pooing that now and saying like don't like companies shouldn't be requiring free work it's like of course yeah companies shouldn't be requiring free work but if you're looking for ways to stand out, if you want to find your dream job, if you want to get in there easier, if you want to leverage relationships, then find ways to provide value to people who can open those doors for you. Because if you get closer to maybe someone who's working at a company that you really want to work at, or you get closer to somebody who is doing something you really want to do, and you just provide a ton of value, it doesn't have to be full time, it could be five, 10 hours a week, that can really open up a lot of doors for you. For me as, as a podcaster, one of the things I tell people a lot is like when I've been asked this question is my thing is like start a podcast. And like even if you yeah. do 10, 15 episodes, go out there and interview the decision makers at the sort of job that you want to work at because you immediately mm – -hmm you know, get to know the people who are running that company. Uh, you know, you are one step ahead of everyone else uh, that is kind of applying. So you're not just a, a name on a resume. You literally got to have a conversation with that person. And and I, I mean, like, yeah. I know this is my point of view as a podcaster, but like for me, I really see that as a, a, a like a total tool that anybody can use to, to get a job. 
hundred percent. And I think, so let's, let's deconstruct that to the bare bones, which is providing value, right. And de-risking, because that's exactly what you do when you have a platform. So I have a, I have an ebook. Uh, it's, it's totally free on my, on my site. Um, and it talks about LinkedIn networking in, in, in a couple of the pillars of LinkedIn networking and putting yourself out there and getting closer to the job that you want, whatever it is that your goal is, is networking and, and creating a platform, right? If you have certain skills in social media management uh, or whatever, you know, insert skills and job role here, and you want to get better at being a unique candidate in that field, creating a platform where you're posting videos, you're posting blogs, you start a podcast, you are putting out some type of thought leadership out there, absolutely de-risks a decision for an employer because when they go research you, you have things out there that they can go look at and go understand, oh, this, uh, you know, this person, Jordan, he's got all these podcast episodes how you're talking about all the things that he does. Look at the cool guests he's got, blah, blah, blah. But again, even if you have that podcast, main important thing is just because you have a podcast doesn't mean someone's going to come onto your podcast. So there has to be some sort of value exchange. Typically, if you're going to get a decision maker at a remote company to come on, right? So what I would even say is start posting, uh, maybe post a case study, go use that product, identify where it is that you want to work, go use the product. And this is kind of getting into my, the, the deeper advanced, more advanced strategies, or, or but we can, we can totally do that. But it would be like, for me, it was remote year. I really wanted to work at remote year. So what did I do? I went and became a customer and I traveled with them for four months. At the end of that, by, by the time I was done, all the employees that I had met along that path knew that I wanted a job there. They submitted my resume for me. I was very active in the community. I did presentations. I was always kind of working on my next move just in case remote year didn't work. And they saw that. They saw the hustle. And they're like, by the time that my resume was submitted, well, it was a foregone conclusion. Like I didn't, I didn't apply or anything. So there are ways that you can create this, what I call digital proximity. And, and that's often done on LinkedIn now. Uh, or, or online in other in other places. So creating that proximity to people that can make the decisions, which I love that you brought that up. It's, it's creating that proximity and creating that value for those people who can be part of that decision-making process. Yeah, I, I love that. And I've had similar experiences. I had an internship uh, years ago with this uh, very cool denim brand here in Cincinnati where I grew up. And I wanted, I thought they were the coolest people I'd ever met. I wanted to work with them. And I basically was a pain in their ass was I was in the shop every single day talking to other yep. customers. Like, you know, I got to know the products and tell them and they were eventually like, well, I, I guess we might as well bring you on and like help out from time to time. So, uh, yeah, I think that using the product and kind of like what you said, it's definitely worked for me. It sounds like, you know, it's worked for you. Uh, so I think that's a great tip. Let's dive into, you did talk about some of those like more advanced strategies. And I'm, I'm not saying that we just need to share all the advanced strategies, but can you mm -hmm. share some of like your top tips for anybody who's looking for a remote job in order to help them, you know, get past being just the name, give them an edge on getting the job that they want. Yeah. Um, can I, can I swear? You can say whatever you want okay. to <laughs> be fucking clear about what you want. So many people are just shitting around. Like I'll take any remote job. It's like, okay, well who's going to give you any remote job? Like you have to be very fucking clear about what you want. And then you need to be able to articulate that value. If you don't know what you want and you can't articulate your value, none of the other shit that I say is going to matter. 
nothing. And if you don't believe in yourself, anything I'm going to say doesn't matter. So those are the two things that everyone overlooks, the mindset and the clarity, right? It's like, if you believe you can or can't do something, you're right. So I, I, I first come into a lot of contact with job seekers who are so dejected and so depressed and so frustrated with their search that they don't even believe it's possible anymore. So mm. it, it's, it's, and it's impossible for me to help someone who thinks it's impossible <laughs> that they can do it. So there's a belief system that has to be in place for someone that, okay, I can do this. And I understand that that takes some anecdotal evidence maybe to see, oh, okay, this can work. But part of that's just commitment. You have to commit, like, I'm going to do this no matter what. And, and maybe that's paying for a coach. Maybe that's finding help, right, with the strategy because often the strategy is, is not aligned to success. So that's the first thing I'd say is make sure you're actually committed to this and you actually believe in yourself. And then you're clear on what it is that you want to do. Because I've, I've encountered many clients who will say, you know, I'll do, you know, a customer success job or a customer service job or account management or sales. And I'm just like, yo, dude, you lost me. I don't know what you do. So keep it mm. to one role if possible, two roles like max. And that's what you should be searching for. Yeah, I think the mindset is just to like throw this out there is like I think yeah. like mindset even for like the entrepreneurs in the crowd is like mm -hmm. one of the most important things. Like I had a I had a I have a friend and a mentor who would say to me, uh, you know, what's stopping you from earning six figures is your mindset. And then what's stopping you to get to seven figures is like your operations. But so many people yeah. start thinking about the second thing, but really yeah. what's keeping you from that first level, which so many people want to get to. Is just your mindset believing that you can do it, and and I totally, mm -hmm. I think that totally makes sense. That it would be the same in in the job seeking world. Yeah, and it's just a life thing, right? Like any goal that you have, the belief part of it is is such a is such a huge uh, component. So those things are are obviously you know really important. And then as you go down the line of importance, uh, once you once you have that clarity, I think a lot of times it's really helpful to pick an industry, like. Mm. A lot of people kind of go into this, what I'd call reactive mode of job seeking, which is let me open up the job boards and see what the job board lords have for me today. Very reactive, right? Because you're just going to go on there and you're going to fucking scroll for hours and you're going to go maybe, oh, you click on it and then you're like going into the company, you look at the company, applying, and then just going to do that all day. Very ineffective. Why is that? Well, it's not proactive. It's not taking into account that you might have certain specifications and a vision for what you want your working life to look like. So start with the actual end goal. What is the lifestyle that you want to live? Do you want to live in Mexico like you and I love to do? Do you want to live in Arkansas in the middle of the United States? Depending on what it is that you want out of a daily life, that is going to also skew what your job search looks like because you should not be spending any time with companies that do not support the lifestyle that you want, right? So many people come to me and they're like, I can't get a call back. It's like, so what do you want? Well, I want to be able to move to Mexico. Why are you applying to these jobs that are U.S. remote only? Mm. It doesn't make any sense. So consider what it is you want with that lifestyle and then consider the industry and then consider the companies within that industry that both fit that vision of what you want your ideal life to look like and can supply you with the lifestyle that you want based on their remote policy, right? So whatever their remote policies, which takes a little bit of research and takes some digging, but if you do that up front, it's going to save you a ton of time 
on the back end from just scrolling through. And then the main focus is once you've chosen that company, it's how can I get proximate to this company? And that's where we get into some of those advanced strategies of networking with people, with creating a podcast, with creating some, some form of thought leadership, with trying out the product and creating what I call a value asset. Um, I did a video with a guy named Austin Belsack, who's amazing at talking about this kind of stuff. But they're basically almost like proof of, proof of uh, concepts, like little small pieces of work that you do for a company to show that uh, you can do the job. A couple of examples. One of them is I had a guy that was looking for a customer service job. He found this really small, uh, they're like a jewelry company, very small, but they had a, a fully remote job open. And we had kind of brainstormed and I was like, all right, so what are you going to do if you're in customer service? What would be the logical thing to do if you're in customer service and you're trying to get a customer service experience? Well, put in a ticket. So he went through the ticketing system. He, he looked at the landing page of their customer service, went through, did a ticket. And then funny enough, he ends up getting a response uh, because he had signed up for the newsletter as well. So this is another thing. Let me back it up one more second. Subscribe to all their communications. The company, the company. Know what's going companies. on in the company. Yeah. yeah. Well, because the messaging they're also going to send out to their potential clients and the world mm. is what they want people to see. So you can use that as leverage in, a, in an interview conversation, in an application, in anything, right? So this is about gathering intel and you can, you can create a feed and you can create uh, even filters in your Gmail to have it go there. I don't want to get into all that stuff, but what he did was he signed up for that newsletter and then he went through the customer service process. Now, this company was so small that every single person who signed up for the newsletter gets an automated email from the CEO. This is hilarious, but he ends up getting the, the email from the CEO. And you can tell it's canned, but it's like, hey, if you have any feedback about our site or whatever. He's like, actually, I do. We sent him a five-page PowerPoint with a Loom video of him going <laughs> through the customer service experience and pointing out all the different places where it could have been better interview secured in 24 hours. Like, come on, it's outside the box. It's something that a CEO like that's going to appreciate. And you say, okay, well, that's a small company. What about a big company? I had another client who was in Honduras that I mentioned before, and he was looking at uh, ConvertKit and trying to get a, a job there. It was the last day of the deadline for the application. And we're looking at it. He's freaking out a little bit. I was like, hey, you know, it's going to be all right. What can we do to spice this up? We game plan. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go do this. And it was for a product manager role. So he goes and he makes his own custom coded convert kit landing page with a YouTube video of him explaining why he's a great fit for the role. Again, interview scheduled within 24 hours. So these are the kind of things that not other, like no one else is doing. And at that front end on the top of the funnel, you really just need to be in the top 10%. Mm -hmm. Most job, uh, most applications for jobs are absolute shit. So a company, if they're getting a hundred, a hundred or so applications, 10 of those are okay and good. So you're really competing against 10. You're not competing against a hundred. And I think that can also help people with that mindset piece is you just need to do a little bit more to be different. And then the less that your resume and your experience are a match, the more you have to make up with that value that you give up front. Yeah. And I mean, like that totally makes sense in terms of like just taking that extra step. And I think that that also goes along with what you were saying about like, stop applying to every job that you see, because yeah. 
if you do that, then you don't have the opportunity to really, you know, take the extra step at the 10 out of 50 that you really want, right? If you need to apply for 50 jobs, you're yeah. not gonna have the time to take that extra step. And funny enough, uh, while we're talking, my wife's company uh, that she works for, they're hiring a social media manager at the moment. And, you know, my wife was kind of like, it's her, you know, she's going through it. She's showing me some of these applicants and some of them are just, it just looks like they didn't even try, you know, like how cool would it have been if they really wanted the job to actually make some social media posts looking at what, uh, you know, they had already been posting, what, what their style is, what their design is. Like if they actually took that extra step and say, hey, look at the things that I made because I want this position. This is like what you'd expect from me. Like you said, you're already in the top 10%, if not more of the people who, who applied. Uh, so I think that's a great tip. And de-risking, right? Because if they can see the quality of the work immediately, they're like, oh, that's amazing. And you don't have to go and create this whole big thing. You can take previous work and just tweak it a little bit to fit the narrative of whatever it is that company. I had a client who was in the social media marketing space and she did that. She did that for a company. She sent them a PDF with the sample mock posts for the ads that she would have created. And they were awesome. And they loved it. And they set up a call with her. And, and that's that's the thing is that at the top, typically a lot, a lot of the people that come to me are having trouble in the top of the funnel. They're just not even you know getting past the initial stage, mm. not getting past the applicant tracking systems, which you shouldn't be playing in the applicant tracking systems. You should be sending these things directly to recruiters and hiring managers. So whenever you get the chance, it's not about just submitting online. It's how can I identify who is a stakeholder in this? How can I find someone who might get a referral bonus for referring me? Like you're always looking at these angles to get into the back door rather than the front door, which is crazy crowded. And then beyond that, it's following up. Like you said, if you are doing 100 applications in a week, you're not going to you're not going to remember <laughs> like where you put your applications, who you applied to, any of that stuff unless you're absolutely ridiculously meticulously organized. So doing one to three applications a week with companies you're a fuck yes about, and you get their culture, you get their product, you understand their industry and you're a good fit for the role, so much higher yield results. I've had clients who've applied zero times, multiple clients applied zero times and they get a job because they focus on the referrals, they focus on the networking, and they focus on doing these other things. In that follow-up piece, so many job seekers are not following up at all product of applying to too many things, but then also they just give up or they just figure, Oh, if I didn't hear anything back, then oopsies. So you got to also follow up in a very nuanced and valuable way as well. Uh, just a small tangent. I'm curious because there's a lot of, you know, people who might be listening who are like, okay, well my dream job, my dream company, they're not hiring. What's what would you say in terms of like people who just kind of like go out of their way to do all of the things that you're saying, but there's no job open and they kind of like take the first step to say like, hey, I know that you don't have any jobs available, but here's what I'd love to do for you guys. I love your company, so on and so forth. Have you seen any sort of success with that? Do you encourage people to do that? Like, is there any sort of harm in, in, in doing that without there necessarily being a position open? Miko, I'd love you for bringing this up. Thank you. <laughs> Fucking, this is, yes, 100% full go on this. Dude, the, the job search should be just as many parts proactively reaching out to these companies and building relationships. And you know why it's so great to do it when they're not hiring? There's no fucking pressure. You're not needing anything from somebody. 
the issue with so many people using job boards and waiting for what's available is that they're always reacting to these job postings and they're thinking, oh God, it's been open for two weeks. I better hurry up, blah, blah, blah. Imagine if you don't have that pressure. Imagine if you're just able to provide value. Imagine if you go to your favorite company, they're not hiring, which is a blessing and opportunity for you. I actually see it as almost even a better thing. You can, you can identify three to five people and you can try to find, there's filters in LinkedIn. So what I would do is go to the posts section of LinkedIn. You can filter it by posts. And then you can go down and filter by company. Click on that, put in the company, and you'll find people who are actively posting on LinkedIn that work at that company. Then you scroll through those and you see what relevant posts you can provide a nice valuable comment to. Not a, hey, that's great. This is like a, hey, provide your opinion and pretend that this is a miniature job interview on your comment. And provide your expertise, provide your opinion, thank them for posting. After you've done that, then you can connect with them. Add the note expressing how much you appreciated their post. Now all of a sudden you have a conversation with somebody who works at the company. And a lot of times it's really useful at the peer level or even under because you're going to find a lot of people who are more likely to, to have a conversation. But if they're already posting on LinkedIn, you are providing value just by liking and commenting. And then you start that conversation in the DMs. Now, say that a month later, there's a job that opens for that company. You've got a fucking contact there already. You've already had the conversation. There was nothing that you needed from them in that moment. So there was no weird pressure. Beautiful. I love that. And I've had multiple clients where they've done this strategy and someone's actually said, hey, I don't know if you know, but we're hiring for this right now. It's not up on our job board. Hey, now they got that referral, right? The internal referral for something that's not even posted. I think this comes to like, it's it's something that I've been calling like micro personal brands, right? Like in mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial world, we hear about personal brands and we all know, you know, like Tim Ferriss, I don't know, like Gary Vee, they all, I'm kind of thinking of big examples here, all have yeah. these mega personal brands. But I think on a, like a day-to-day -day level, there's really the world today is really becoming more about these small personal brands like this, where if you're like, like you've been saying is like, don't just go for anything, pick an industry, focus on the companies in that industry, communicate with the people in the companies in those industries and start to develop yourself as somebody who knows something about that industry. So when the people say, Hey, we have a job opening, you know, who'd be great. That guy that's been commenting on our LinkedIn for like months, yeah. especially about this. And this kind of leads to something else that I wanted to ask you about kind of looking forward into the future from your, from your point of view. One of the really interesting things, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Naval Ravikant before, but he is. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Naval. Yeah. Perfect. So you're kind of going to see where this is coming from. But one of the things that I think um, Naval said that was really interesting was that in the future, he sees work shifting away from the nine to five sort mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, full employment model that we've gotten so used to and shifting more into this contract kind of thing where, you know, yeah. we're going to have an app where we're going to be able to connect with a company that needs some work for us. We get the work done in a couple of months and then we sort of rest. And then a month later after we've got a break, we go and we find another one. So essentially work he predicts is going to shift more into this contract 
based model, not so much on a full-time based model. Is this something yeah. that, is this a view that you support? Do you see this happening um, already? How far away do you think that is? If you agree with it, just in general, like what are your thoughts on like his opinion on that? Yeah. I mean, gig economy, right? That's pretty much what it is. It's uh, creating fractional work and it's, it's finding skilled labor who can do that work for you. And I think that's where those, those micro brands are going to be really important because if you're not able to brand yourself, you know, you're already not going to have a, you're already going to have a tough time in the job marketplace currently, but especially if you're, you're selling your skills in, in that kind of a way in the gig economy, I think it is really important that you have uh, the social proof of having other client testimonials, having some type of personal brand asset out there, like a podcast, a blog, um, you know, whatever it might be, but yeah, I do 10, 10 years or so. Um, I don't know if you've, you, you've, uh, done a lot of research into Upwork and Fiverr and, and the way that those companies are, are operating, but they're just blowing up. I mean, I've owned stock for both those organizations for some time and looks great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, I think from, from that perspective, awesome. But then I think, I think, you know, LinkedIn's going to get on this too, and other sites are going to get on this. LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn has already has they a free work. That, this is one of my yeah. this is one of my next videos actually. Uh, so, me and my assistant have done a load of research around the LinkedIn marketplace, which is trying to compete with with Fiverr and Upwork. But this, yeah, this is only going to get bigger because people are going to realize, like, okay, well, I'm not going to have to work in that nine to five model. I have this skill that I can monetize myself and and make either a comparable amount of money or I can make a negligible amount less and then live wherever I want and match that with my cost of living. So I, I think that's going to be very prevalent. I think most people in the U.S., uh, most knowledge workers in the U.S. in the next maybe decade are going to be in the gig economy rather than full-time work. And, and I totally support that. I, I totally, I, I'm a big supporter of autonomy and choice. I think that is, in, in, and also that spreading to places other than just the US because I realized that Absolutely. being born in the US and, and what I've had is a huge advantage, a huge privilege of being born here, you know, passport privilege basically of, of, of um, where I did not choose to be born. Same could be said for, you know, folks in, in other countries. So I'd love to see, I'd love to just continue to see more equity along those lines. The economy is the tough thing, right? Because when you're dealing with a global economy and people that are that are going to be now competing in the same markets as, as folks in the US. And that's where that's where a lot of this gets kind of tricky because even with remote companies with pay, as they've kind of gone to maybe fully remote models, they've reconsidered, okay, well, if you end up moving out of San Francisco, we're going to pay you less now. So I think the same kind of thing is going to apply with the gig economy is there's going to be some rate, uh, arms wars towards cheap you know, how cheap can we get labor? Right. And a lot of people already do that with like virtual assistants and whatnot. But, um, it, it, overall, I think we're going to see some very interesting shifts in the next uh, decade or so. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think like for me, remote work is sort of like the decentralization of, of opportunity, right? Like companies yeah. just, uh, you know, making remote work a thing is just the first domino, but really following, like, what is the next domino and the domino after that? Like, I totally agree with you. I think we're in for a very interesting decade uh, in terms of, like, what work looks like. And I think in, in 2030, 
you know, 2035, it's going to be a very interesting place to be. And I think it might surprise some of us in terms of uh, what that looks like. But Jordan, uh, I want to say thank you so much for uh, coming on and and sharing your expertise with us and your, uh, you know, knowledge and all of this, because I know it's something that a lot of people are looking for. Uh, I want to let you kind of Tell us, tell people more about where they can find out more about you. I know that you have a book coming out soon, so you know, feel free to share that. But also in wrapping up, I'm sure this is a question that you've heard a bazillion times, but I would get uh, crucified if I don't ask you. Do you have any sort of resource where people can go to find like where are the websites or anything like that where they can find uh, remote jobs? Because I get asked all the time, what job plate, where should I look for jobs? And I'm always like, I don't know, like uh, Google it, but do you have any sort of like more, uh, a better put together resource of where people can go to find jobs? Sure. I mean, that's going to also depend on, on, on the person, um, and what, what exactly they're looking for. But I, I have, that's actually a big part of what I'm working on right now as well as I'm, I've got my own job board that I've been working on that, is giving me that opportunity to work with employers close more closely. Mm -hmm. So having those jobs on there and being able to help place people is, is a big uh, thing on my uh, kind of testing area. But I also have a, uh, a job board that I just post fully remote opportunities. So like distributed companies, ones that are work from anywhere. I have that in my remote job club so that I'm sure that'll be something we, we link. So, you know, you can find this information on the remote job, coach.com and then there's a free resources tab i've got a bunch of free resources i got a couple different ebooks there on linkedin and then if you click on that first one it's the remote job club free version and there's over 4,500 remote jobs in there from companies that are fully remote and distributed so that that is definitely a resource flex jobs is really good if you don't mind paying uh, and a lot of these other places like linkedin they're, they're getting better at filtering they're still not great because they still don't classify the remote as well as they should. Mm. So you just really be careful, right? Again, 95% of remote jobs have some sort of geographical restriction. So you, you still want to be aware of that and read the job descriptions and, and be very uh, mindful of that. And tell us about the book that you're working on. Uh, I know mm -hmm. that before we hit record, you shared with me that it will be coming out uh, later this year. What, what is it about? And when can people look forward to, to picking up that book? Yeah, it's called Remote for Life. So it's pretty much a lot of the principles that we talked about in a book format, but, you know, extrapolated and and, and put into, I think, uh, a format that's really understandable. I do have a course online as well. So like, I took a lot of the stuff from the course and made it cheaper, made it something where it's more, a little bit more accessible for, for people who can't afford the course, although the course is only a couple hundred bucks. Um, so I, I'm really excited for it, man. And, and writing a book is crazy. I don't, I don't know if you've written a book or not, but it's, it is, uh, it's quite a process. I'm working with a publisher right now and going back and forth on edits. And we've got the manuscripts done, but I'm going through my second round of line by line edits. And uh, I had to, so I have a March 1st cut. I literally set this yesterday because since my surgery, I've been laying low with this thing, but I got to get back into it. And it's so hard to like bring yourself to do it. So every morning at 6am, I'm waking up, I'm doing two <laughs> hours, five days a week on these edits until it's done. And I have a date of March 1st to be done with my next round of revisions, which then um, should take us into the, the home stretch. 
Well, awesome. Uh, I look forward to uh, picking up that book and uh, and best of luck. I haven't written a book, but my dad's written a few books and I've watched him do it. So I have a, 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 yeah. a close experience of, of what it looks like. But Jordan, man, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really, really appreciate you uh, being here and sharing your knowledge with us and uh, all the best, man. Hope to see you in, right. in Mexico sometime. Yeah, man. Cervezas y tacos. Let's go. <laughs> 